Good morning. My name is Adam Rowe. I'm the student ministry director here. If you hadn't had a chance to meet me yet, come meet me afterwards. My wife Liz and I have been here for about two and a half years, and we have just loved this place and loved these students. I've been in student ministry for a little over 10 years now, and I've gotten to have uh, just incredible experiences and incredible students, and, and occasionally maybe not such incredible experiences or students, although none of those are, are here. Every, every student at Grace Chapel Wilmington is fantastic, but <laughs> my, my second year in ministry, I took this group to a camp called Hume Lake. I, I'm from out here. I graduated from Gordon, but I ended up at a church in California, and we took them to this camp called Hume Lake. It's beautiful. We have a picture of it here. This, this is your view as you sit out and kind of hang out, and kids, they, they go out on boats, and they swim. And the first year I went, I just went as uh, kind of like a, a, a leader underneath somebody else. And it meant that I actually sat in one of those Adirondack chairs, and I enjoyed myself, and I read a book. It was just a wonderful, wonderful week. The second year, they asked me if I would lead it. And so I said, okay. And I went, and I, I led the trip, and I gathered adults. We put all these students on buses, and we bust them up there. And because I was in charge, I said that I would take our maybe our trouble kids, the kids we weren't sure about. And we'd had this group of freshman boys that had been brought to us from the middle school ministry. And they were that group, you know, they, they bring them to you and they say, hey, th these are yours now. And then they start to laugh and cry and they run away, you know, <laughs> like, these are yours. And, and so I said, okay, I'll take them. I don't know these boys. I'll take them. And from night number one, they were trouble. They fought over everything, everything. If, if one of them was climbing into the upper bunk and he stepped and jostled the other one at all, it was like, bleep you, da, 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 this and that. I'm like, whoa, whoa, calm down. This is crazy. They broke things all the time. Every time I came back, they'd be like, oh, Adam, they, they broke one of the windows. They snapped two different brooms. I don't even know where they got the second broom. You're only supposed to have one. They scratched with a knife bad words into the door. And then they took a permanent marker and wrote them on one of the mattresses. They ripped one of the other mattresses open and there was stuffing everywhere. I, I came home one of the nights and one of the boys says, um, Adam? And I was like, oh man, I know that tone. And, and yes, Walt. And he said, well, this is a direct quote. You know how I like to hit things with sticks, right? Yes, Walt, I know how you like to hit things with sticks. Then he just went like this, and I looked up, and oh, yeah, there's a, a broken light. I mean, it was just constant. And so finally, I'm, I'm making it through this week. I'm surviving through this week. I get to the second to last night, and I can see the light in the end of the tunnel. And we go to bed, and, and I feel like, okay, I'm going to make it. But at one in the morning, my eyes snap open. And I don't know if there was some sort of youth pastor sense that was building in me, but something was wrong. And I looked around the room, and I quickly noticed that what was wrong was that there was no one there. It was way too quiet. So I got up and I walk over to the door and I open the door to the deck. And, and what you have to see is, is it was, the, the cabin was kind of on this steep hill. So the cabin's like this and there's a, a balcony and stairs that go down. It's probably an eight or 10 foot drop to the ground. And as I open the door, I hear two different things. The first one, I hear, shh, Adam's coming. And then the second one, which comes from the leader. This, this pack of kids had, had a leader. They were like a gang, and the smartest, most criminally-minded one led them. And so the leader actually said, um, direct quote, Adam, you don't want to be here right now. I'm like, of course, now I have to be here. I can't walk away from that. So I walk out on the deck, and what I find that they've done is they've actually taken every mattress out of the cabin while I was asleep. They have laid them all the way down the stairs, put a bunch at the bottom, and they're running, jumping, and sliding down this at one in the morning. And it was pretty cool. 
I was, I was like, oh, this is like, for once, you're not destroyed. You're being creative. Like, let's, let's have a moment together. And so they're like, oh, we're not in trouble. Like, here, jump down, try it. And so I tried it, and it was fun. You slide all the way down the stairs. You hit the pile. Like, ah. Oh. And so now, now they're, you know, you know how boys are. The moment somebody's, like, watching, they start, like, upping the ante, over, trying to beat each other out and trying to, like, like I'm going to do better than you. I'm going to jump this way. I'm going to jump that way. And right as it's, you know, it's starting to escalate a little bit, the band shows up. And the band, if you're at a summer camp, especially one that's huge like this one, you see the band, but you never interact with them. You, you're always like, the kids always want to go and get their autograph, all that kind of stuff. And so the band is coming back from a late night practice. They walk up and the leader looks of the band, he looks up and he says, you know, this is the coolest thing I've seen all summer. And now my, my boys, like their minds are exploding and they're, they're trying like to one-up each other as best they can. And so I'm talking to the band leader and it's getting louder and louder. And finally, as I turn to say, okay, let's, let's calm it down a little bit, that, that okay turns into a no, because the, again, the, the future criminal of America leader, the leader of the pack is over the railing. He has climbed over the railing. He's holding on with one hand. He has a broken, snapped off, sharp, like angled broom between his legs. And as I scream, no, he screams direct, again, direct quote, not making this up, for Hogwarts. <laughs> and he leaps into the air on this broom, like he's gonna fly away. The, the world slows down, and the only thing I can think of is, I've only made it two years as a youth pastor, and I'm going to jail as he kills himself. He's like, I'm sure as he falls down, he's going to skewer himself, but with the grace of a ballerina, he hits the ground, he rolls over, he comes up, and he holds the broom up in the air, and I'm like, okay, this is getting crazy. I need to stop this. And again, as I go to start to stop it, all of a sudden, this light hits me in the back. I spin around, and it's one of the security guards who's, I don't know if he got, he came because of the noise, somebody called him. I'm not sure, but the light hits me in the face, and I immediately go from, yay, we're having fun, boys, to I turn around, and I'm like, what did I tell you guys? Get inside right now. I told you you couldn't do this, and I start yelling at them, and, and they're all confused. I can see confusion, and then again, Thug leader number one, little mini Al Capone, he, he looks at me. You can see, like, the, the wheels are turning. He sees me. He sees the security guard, and, like, understanding dawns in his eyes. And he goes, we know you did, Adam. We know you told us not to do this. And they, they gather up their stuff, and all the boys are like, okay, whatever he does, I do, or else I get beat up. So they gather their stuff, and they head inside, and I walk in with them. And I got inside, and I was like, sorry about that, guys. And they're like, no, if you hadn't lied, we would have gotten in big trouble. <laughs> Like, this is, the le- this is the last, second to last night of camp, and the lesson you've learned is if you hadn't lied, we would have gotten in trouble. <laughs> it was a bonding moment, and yet I remember going to bed that night really feeling like a liar, feeling like, why? This guy shows up. I don't know. I've never seen this security guard before. It's, there's a 1,000 people between the middle school and the high school sides. There's no way the next day he'll ever recognize me again. But the moment he shows up, I don't want to be seen as if I am the guy that would let students, middle, like uh, ninth grade boys, jump off of decks with broken brooms. Uh, and I immediately like switch over to, to, to what to me, it wasn't a big lie, but it felt like a lie. And immediately I'm kind of trying to protect my own image. And I went to bed that night just feeling kind of like, oh, I should be different. I, I, remember, I remember as a kid, uh, I always thought, you know, as I, as I looked at adults, I thought that life was just this kind of upward trajectory. As you, as you grew old, older, you, you know, became more mature, you became more righteous, you became more holy, humble, all of that kind of stuff. 
And yet I have these experiences in my life where I realize that what has actually grown the most easily in me is the other stuff, the, the darker things. My insecurities, my habits, these things that I wish didn't grow, they, they grow almost without help. And so I try harder and I, I grit my teeth and I say, I'm going to do this differently. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this. And, and I find myself sometimes exhausted as I try so hard to be what I, I think I should be. So let's talk about that this morning. But before we do, will you pray with me as, as we ask the teacher to be here with us? Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the book of John, for this farewell discourse, for the, the lessons that you gave the disciples and through them, us today as your disciples. I ask that you would speak here this morning, that you would speak through me. And I ask that I would be able to get out of the way, that my words would be yours. I ask that you open the, the hearts and the minds and, of those who are listening here. I ask that your spirit would be here in power this morning. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So over the past few weeks, we've been looking at the farewell discourse, chapters 13 through 17 in the book of John. And this is, well, Tim, Tim kind of reminded us a couple weeks ago. He, he laid out the book of John. He spends, John spends 12 chapters going over three years of Jesus' life. And then he spends the remaining nine doing one week. Five of those nine chapters are one night. So he talked about the fact that, you know, John would have made a great filmmaker. And if he was a filmmaker, this would have been the focal point of that film. Everything slows down and he says, okay, this is what we're looking at. And, and it, really, it really means that what he thinks is this is important. This section he's highlighting for us. And so over the last few weeks as we've looked at this, we've learned a few different things. We found that uh, at the table, we learned to love one another as Christ loved us with all of our flaws and failures. We found that at the table, we learned to love one another, not just out of loyalty, but out of love. And we've learned that at the table, we find our true home with God and with one another. And so today we get to John chapter 15. And what I love about John chapter 15 is it feels kind of like famous last words. We love, as a culture, we love famous last words. We love movies, we love entertainment, we love this. And, and we, have, we have them memorized. You know, I was trying to think of a few, and I'm terrible at accents, so I won't even try, but I'll be back. Where does that come from? Terminator. You've, you've seen it. Okay. What about, um, I don't know, how about this one? It's not quite famous last words, but we love this quote. You know, we need a bigger boat. Jaws. How, how this one is one of my favorites. I don't know how many of you remember it, but, you know, clever girl. Anybody remember that one? Jurassic Park. I don't even know the hunter's name, but it's right before the raptors get him. I High school brain was burned in on that one. And we love this kind of stuff. Famous last words, we repeat them, we parody them, they, they become phrases and slogans for us. And here in John chapter 15, Jesus is kind of teaching them, the last things he teaches them before he goes to the cross. And so John slows down and gives us this extended look. In the last few chapters, as they've talked, Jesus has predicted his death. He's predicted his betrayal. He's predicted that Peter would deny him. He's told the disciples he's going away. He's promised that the Spirit would come and remind them of everything he's said. He's really laying stuff out, and the disciples are they're wondering what is going on here. And at the end of chapter 14, the very last thing he says is, Come now, let us leave. So let's pick it up in John 15.1. John 15.1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. 
You are already clean because of the words I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. He says, come now, let us leave. And then he's giving them kind of this, this talk. Here's, here's what I want you to know. Here, remember this as I head off into what looks to you like a very uncertain future. And the first thing I want you to see is the very first two verses. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And the first idea here is that God is the gardener. God is the gardener. He is in charge. It is his garden. I am a part of his garden. He is the gardener, and he prunes both the good and the bad. I um, grew up with a, a dad who loves gardening. My dad has a, a green thumb uh, my whole life. He's loved it. He's a, he's a pastor, and, and gardening really is, is his hobby. It's what he loves to do. He goes outside, and he, he's always looking for new things to add. And as kids, that meant that we were always a part of it, too. We would, in the summer, you know, you wake up on a Saturday and oh, what's my thing? To, you're going to go out and weed. You're gonna, and there's a thousand weeds out there. And you're going to pull them all up. And so we weeded and, and we were part of it. And in high school, it just kind of led to me naturally looking at a garden center as a place to work. I had a friend that worked at Mahoney's Gardening Center down on the Cape. And so he got me a job and started working there and learning more. And then our senior year, we got tired of people asking us, do you know someone that can plant this for us? They'd come and buy this bush. Do you know anybody that can plant it for us? And so we finally said, we can do that. And so we started our own little landscaping company. So here's, this is a picture of my dad. This is last Christmas. He still has the Uptown Landscaping hat. Uh, president Mike Van Cleef, Vice President Adam Rowe. This company has not been around in a long time. But in high school and in college, this, this was our, our little company. And so we went out and we'd spend every day after working there, we'd spend the last few hours of life, you know, planting things people had bought and, and tending to their, their gardens and their, their houses. And what I learned is that you spend an equal amount, if not more, tending and pruning as you do actually planting. How many, we have gardeners in the room? You spend a lot of time, if you want it to look good, you spend a lot more time actually working at it than you do you know, putting, just putting a bush in the ground and letting it go. And it's the same thing with us. You know, I say to kids all the time that who you become someday really depends on the decisions you start making right now. Little decisions that you make right now will radically alter who you become and the type of life you lead someday. And I'm sure we, we all try to communicate this to younger people. But the thing is, I've had students in my ministry, and you look at them and you say, someday, with the, with the actions that you're taking right now, someday, you know, I can see alcoholism in your future. Or I can see drug addiction. Or I can see all of these things that are coming for you. And if we could just make a few little tweaks, just prune you a little bit, you could be heading in this direction. And over 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years, that makes a huge difference. And at that age, it's, it's usually not that big of a thing. It's something that could be easily fixed if we take care of it now. We taught a series last year, and I, I actually I brought an apple in and this giant butcher knife. You, you pull a butcher knife out on a Sunday morning and people pay attention. And so we took it and we chopped the apple in half and we pulled out the seeds and we talked about, you know, what do you get from apple seeds? And, and I know it's not as simple as just tossing the ground, get a tree and all that. But, but we made the point that you don't get oranges from these. You don't plant orange seeds and you get something else. What you plant, we use this phrase every week over and over, they repeated it every week. What you plant will grow. The idea that the decisions we make now head us in a different direction. But what about us? What about those of us who are adults who've had maybe decades to allow these minor issues to become major issues? 
or to allow this sin to really ensnare and entrap us. Well, I love this idea. Chapter 2, or sorry, verse, verse 2. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will become even more fruitful. This idea of fruit is all over the New Testament. Galatians chapter 5 is where we usually go. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But it's more than that. It's whatever the ministry that God has given you to do. It's what he's called you to. It's the people you interact with. It's, it's new believers. It's children. It's, it's all of this, you know, what has God called me? How is, he, how is my impact on pushing the kingdom forward? And many of us look at ourselves and we think, if only I'd done something back then, but now it's got a hold on me. And God says, I am the gardener. And if you are bearing fruit, I will prune you so that you bear even greater fruit. And I think the Father prunes through a few different ways. The first is trials and hardships. We see this idea all over the New Testament. James chapter 1, consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. That last phrase, that is just my ardent desire. I want to be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. And often it is in those trials and those difficult situations where we find that at work in us. Uh, Liz and I were living in, we were outside, about a half hour outside of San Francisco for the four years before we came here. And wherever you live, you know, there's always some place you take people. It's like you're, you know, they're visiting from out of town. And, you know, maybe here you take them into Fenway or you take them up to the mountains or, or, or whatever. On the Cape, we take them to the beach or the National Seashore. And in San Francisco, where a lot of people want to go, if they don't want to go into the cities, they want to go up into Napa and Sonoma. And so we ended up finding this little, it was like a little family-owned vineyard called Benziger, and we'd take people up there to show them. And what I loved about this place is this was a, a it was a farm. I hadn't known much about it beforehand, but we'd go on tours and they'd explain it. It really, it really was farming, and it was this connection to the earth and this connection to the seasons and all of this. And they would show us kind of the different things that they would do. And one of the, the pictures that has always stuck with me is they had this picture inside, and it was showing the difference between two different vines. One on the left that they watered all year long, and one on the right that they'd left to kind of, you know, not fend for itself. They, they took care of it if there was a drought, but generally it was, it was dependent upon nature and what would come. And they had dug down into the earth, and they had this cross section, and you could see the one that had been watered all the time had a root system about five feet deep. The one on the right that hadn't been watered all year had a root system that was 25 feet deep. And they would talk about the fact that the deeper the root system, the more it was pulling from that earth, the greater the crop and the richer the crop. And similar for us, as we go through trials and tribulations, first off, I don't want anybody to take from me that these are coming. It's not God is not giving us these trials and tribulations. We do that just fine. I do that just fine. We live in a world that brings that to us. But the Bible talks about the fact that God will take those and that he will work them out for the good of those who love him. And it's really a lot of times about kind of our perspective. When the, in Acts, when the, the disciples are, are punished, when they're flogged the very first time, they go away rejoicing. And I'm not saying it's fun to be flogged, but they were rejoicing for the fact that they got to suffer just like their Savior did. Uh, I remember a time at my very first church where I was going through a, a very, 
a bunch of different circumstances, but a really hard period that was kind of making me question what I was doing, what I was called to. And we had this small kind of counter space where you'd throw the keys right before you got to the door. And every day, my clear memory is every day as I walked out of the apartment, I would just kind of thump, you know, boom, my head down on this. And I would just pray. Like, please get me through this day, get me through this day. And it was a time that I do not necessarily want to go back to. And yet it was one of the times in my life where I've never felt closer to God. He was speaking to me all the time. I would open up the Bible and things would jump out at me. And I just felt his arms around me through this whole thing. And I, I talk to people and I hear the same thing. I wouldn't want to go back there, but man, I never felt closer. Or what I'm going through right now, it, it's, it's awful and it's horrible, but God is just walking with me and holding me. Psalms 34 says that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. So he speaks to us through trials and hardships. He also speaks to us through just a subtle prompting. There's this still quiet voice that comes sometimes. And throughout my life, every once in a while, it comes to me and, and he says, okay, Adam, we haven't, we haven't dealt with this yet, but, but now this is what we're going to deal with. We're going to start to make you think a little differently. We're going to start to make you speak a little differently. Maybe, maybe you should not, not look towards this or not listen to this. And that still quiet voice comes. And it comes through trials. Sometimes you know, I'm going through something and I just hear God say, okay, this is what we're going to work on in this. this is, we're going to work on perseverance. But it also comes through reading the Bible as you're going through and things jump out at you. It comes through corporate worship as you're singing and the words and, and the Spirit speaks to you. It comes through fellowship as we're together as believers. It says, as our iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens another. So we, we as a, a body, we're meant to help sharpen each other and direct each other and help prune each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. So he speaks to us. He prunes us through trials, hardships. He prunes us through subtle promptings. And he also prunes us through the church, which is what I just alluded to. We are this, this, this body of believers. We are meant to be a family. We are meant to call each other towards better things. And we have all of these different opportunities for this. We have life communities. They're all meeting right now as we go through this, and they're talking, and they're, they're walking through life together, and they're helping each other. For, for, for things that maybe have a real hold on you, Celebrate Recovery meets every single Monday night, every week of the year. We have a counseling staff. We have pastoral staff. We have all of these different places where we can come together and say, let's, let's sharpen one another. But God is the gardener. And he wants to prune some of this stuff that is life-destroying, not life-giving out of us. But interestingly enough, he also wants to prune some of the good stuff. Some, some of these vines, if you look at a vine, it'll actually produce more fruit than is healthy for it. There are certain vines that will produce so much fruit that it actually crushes and breaks the branches. It'll produce so much fruit that the stuff on the bottom rots away. And so a farmer will go through and he'll actually chop off a large percentage of the healthy branches so that the other ones will produce a better and more vibrant crop. And God asks the same thing of us. A lot of times, uh, there are just so many good ideas. There are so many good ministries. There's things that we're called to. And you hear people all the time, come do this, come do this. God has led me to this. And, and we have trouble saying no to those. And so we add this and that and this and our schedules get busier and busier and we find ourselves exhausted. We find ourselves burnt out. We wonder, why have I not spent time in the Word recently? It's because I'm too busy for it. Oswald Chambers said this. I love this quote. This comes from uh, just a couple days ago in My Utmost for His Highest. He says, Joy comes from seeing the complete fulfillment of a specific purpose for which I was created and born again. Not from successfully doing something of my own choosing. 
The joy our Lord experienced came from doing what the Father sent him to do. And he says to us, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Have you received a ministry from the Lord? If so, you must be faithful to it, to consider your life valuable only for the purpose of fulfilling that ministry. This last line is important. You must be sensitive to what God has called you to do. And this may sometimes require ignoring demands for service in other areas. All over the Bible is the idea that God has a plan for you. And he has a plan for me, a good plan, a life-giving plan. He's given me gifts. He's given you gifts, gifts that are meant to be used for the expansion of the kingdom of God. And then he even says, I have set works for you. I've given you good works that I've set out in advance for you to do. God is the gardener. He's actually put the stuff in place for me. He's given me the gifts. It's not my responsibility. I just need to follow him in those. But it doesn't just come from necessarily trying harder. Again, verse 2b, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it'll be even more fruitful. He is the gardener. It is his garden. And Jesus is the vine. He's feeding and he's energizing. John 15, follow along, verses 5 through 8. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. What word comes up over and over and over again in that? This idea of remaining. Other translations that, that I grew up with said abiding, this remaining, abiding. Our responsibility here, if God is the gardener and Jesus is the vine, I'm not either of those. I'm not the gardener, I'm not the vine. My responsibility here by Jesus is to remain. He, he says, if I remain in him, he will remain in me. That I am the branch, he is the vine, that's what I'm connected to. If we want to produce fruit, it comes through him. There is no other way. He is the energy source. And we, we access that energy source by remaining, by abiding in him. We, we, we know this in, in life that the people we spend time with, we, we become like. I see this in student ministry all the time. You have a kid, they're with one group, they're one person, they're with another group, they're another. Sometimes you look and you say, we need to get you out of this group of, of, of friends. We need to get you somewhere better. And the moment you pull them out of that group, they, they blossom. They become somebody different. And as we spend time with Christ, we actually become like Christ. But it's more than just time. As we trust Christ, we become more like him. As we are obedient to Christ, we become more like him. As we're humble, as we learn, as we listen, as we're patient, as we spend time developing these things, we become more like him. And this last one, I think, is really hard for us. It's one of the hardest ones for me. As we rest in him. There is, there's no vine that produces fruit 365 days a year. Every one of us knows it. We look out our window right now. I don't know about you. I am desperate for spring. March is the month where I just start to feel a little stir crazy. I start looking outside. I'm, I'm staring at trees. I come on and just bloom if I can just get them to do it myself. But if you look at a vineyard in the winter, there, there's nothing going on. For, for me as an observer, I walk around and I, I basically, yeah, these look dead to me. I don't see anything going on. But you know that under the surface, they're, they're gathering nutrients. Under the surface, they are preparing. And come spring, boom, fruit, leaves, an explosion 
of life. What happened? The vines stayed connected to their source all winter long. This idea of resting in Christ is is difficult for me. Uh, Last winter, I was actually asked to go and speak at a crew retreat. We went up to New Hampshire, and I love, when I get to speak uh, for somebody else's youth group, it's fantastic, because I get to just basically spend an entire weekend being relational. I get to sit, I have conversations, we talk about Jesus and school and college and, and all sorts of stuff, family. I'm not worried about when dinner is, or I don't have any concerns other than I just hang out and go where the people tell me. I love it. It's fantastic. So I spent a weekend speaking, teaching, counseling, talking to kids, and then because I was already there, I spent a couple days just on personal retreat myself. They all headed out on Sunday, I waved goodbye, and then I just spent about two days just me and and Jesus. I brought the Bible, I brought a couple of books, I I read through one of the books while I was there, I spent time sleeping and resting, I spent time hiking, I love being outdoors and, and I feel like I connect with God there. I spent just time, me and Jesus, intentionally didn't bring things that would distract me, and I just spent time with him. And I remember when I got home, somebody asked me, so how was it? And I thought about it and I said, you know what? For two days, I just feel like I have been loved by God. Just the sense that I got the entire time I was there was just that, Adam, I love you. Adam, I'm with you. There was something about just being with him that was incredible. Because God is the gardener. Jesus is the vine. And I cannot produce fruit every day on my own unless I'm connected to him. Because the third piece here is just that I'm the branch. Let's look at John 15, 9 through 17. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I called you friends. For everything I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command, love each other. This is the type of life Jesus is calling us to. As he's going to the cross, he says to the disciples, my command is that you love one another, that you put each other first. This isn't just a one-time thing. This is a daily sacrificial putting of others before myself. And the truth about it is I cannot do it. I can't. The more that I try to do it, the more that I try, my, my selfishness comes out. And my, I mean, the moment I got married, I, this became very clear to me. I grew up in a large family. I don't know how many people grew up in a large family, but, but when mom would bring something from the store or dad would get us a treat, it was a competition to see who could eat it first. You know what I mean? There'd be something good, and you knew that if I didn't get to it, my brothers were going to get to it. So you'd sneak up at night, and you'd just be like, like trying to eat all this stuff. And at dinner, you're always looking like, what's the best? I was the oldest, so I, I know that some of you have issues with that, but I'd always be looking like, what's the best piece of food? And like, no, you can't have that, Jordan. That's mine. And I remember when I first got married, probably six months in, it hit me one night at dinner that I didn't even think about it. As I brought the plates to the table, I put the best one in front of my spot. And I went, oh, that, oh, that doesn't feel good to me. 
And that's just kind of how we are naturally. And Jesus knows it. And he says, this is the type of life I want you to live, a daily sacrificial life, and you cannot do it on your own. You have to do it through me. God is the gardener. Jesus is the vine. He energizes. I am the branch. My ultimate goal, this is kind of an important idea. I want you all to get this. The ultimate goal of the branch is not the fruit. The fruit is important. I mean, it it really is. If if there's no fruit, there's, there's probably something wrong. But the ultimate goal in the eyes of Jesus of us, of the branch, is not the fruit. It is the abiding. It is the remaining. That is what we are called to. My, my doctor just, I don't know, a few months ago, you know, they, they perform that little arcane ritual where they put all the numbers into the computer and it pops out a weight for you and they tell you this is what you should try to get to. And I remember looking at this and it was like, it was just a few pounds off from my college freshman weight and thinking like, are you crazy? Like, there's no way. If you saw me in college as a freshman, I was like this little twig. And not only was I a little twig with no muscles, I was also a swimmer. I lived in the pool. I always used to say, like, that's how I'd phrase it, I live in the pool. We would spend, in college, 30-plus hours a week in the water. That was, that was like my, my, almost my full-time job to be in the water. And you knew just by looking at me that I was a swimmer. This is a, a picture of my hair. <laughs> okay? Your hair gets bleached out by the chlorine. It gets this greenish tinge to it. It's just like everywhere. And all of us, we'd walk around like that. We looked crazy. And then you shave it all off and there was all these bald guys running around. But you look crazy. The, the lunch lady, one of the lunch ladies used to call me honeycomb because I look like the honeycomb monster. So I looked like this. I smelled like the pool. Now, do we have swimmers? Any swimmers in here? You know what, when it rains... And you can smell the pool, and then you realize it's you. you know. Oh, yeah. The moment you get water on you, it just the, the chlorine comes out of your skin. When you are a swimmer, you live in this pool. And I am not a swimmer because I went to meets or because I raced or because I, I hung out. If that's all I did, they wouldn't have let me on the team. I was a swimmer because I lived, I remained, I abided in that pool. And that's what we're called to. As believers, we are called to remain, to abide, to look like, to smell like, to feel like, to, for, for us to be like Christ. And far too often, we're far more interested in the hand of God than we are the face of God. In other words, I'm interested in what God does for me not necessarily who he is. Even this morning, I'm driving in. I've been thinking about this for two weeks. I've been struggling with it, rewriting, rewriting. I'm driving in, and I find myself praying, like, Lord, please help me and speak through me today. And then this little voice came and said, isn't that what you're talking about? Not using me like a cosmic, you know, like, give me something machine. I was like, oh, man. We're always asking and wanting things, you know, like, give me some patience and give me this, and I got to put prayer into the machine to get something good out. And all that he's asking for is that we just love him. For him. Uh, imagine Valentine's Day. If I had given Liz a card, it was beautiful. It had a heart on it, and it smelled nice, and it was expensive, made of nice paper. And she opens it up, and on the inside it says, Liz, I really love what you do for me. Like, that would not go well. Liz doesn't want me to love what she does for me. She wants me to love her. She wants me to love her for her. And, and we often, we get off track by doing, 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 doing. We think the more we can do, the more we can accomplish, the more we become something that God wants of us. And here in this passage, he says, I am the gardener. It is my garden. I am in charge. Jesus is the vine. He's the one producing the energy. He's the one giving you what you need. You are the branch. Your job is to remain in me. The branch cannot do it all. 
So whatever your cause is, and it should be student ministry, whatever, whatever your cause is, like praise God, praise God. But don't always put that on everyone else as theirs. Our job is to remain and at times just to rest and to be with Christ. The vine cannot do everything, or the branch, sorry, cannot do everything. The branch's job is to say, vine, what do you want of me? God is the goal for us, not the fruit, even though the fruit is important. A couple things to get from this as we close. The first thing, invite God to lovingly prune your life. There's, all, there's always things. I don't know where you're at. There's always things in me that I wish were different or things that I feel are burdening me. Sometimes they're bad things. Sometimes they're good things, things that aren't life-giving. Invite him to come in and say, Lord, what do you want to see different? What do you want to work in me right now? And you can say no. I mean, you can, you can stay where you are. Sometimes it feels easier just to stay right where I am and to say, no, I'm not going to do that. But that, that just leads to burden. That leads to enslavement. That leads to exhaustion. The harder way is to say, God, come and chip away at my soul. Slowly turn me from here towards here. Pull me towards Jesus. Pull me towards the light. And he will do it. He's the gardener. Invite him to come and lovingly prune your life. And the second thing is respond to God's invitation to remain in him. If we're getting rid of things, whether good things or bad things, uh, we're supposed to replace them with Christ. Not for what he does, but for who he is. And the more time we spend with him, the more time we trust him, the more time we rest in him and his love, the more we become like him. So some easy options. We have right out on the table, on the welcome table to the left, there's a big uh, kind of brownish looking bookmark like this. And it's just daily readings for this whole series through Lent. It'll walk you through this. It's a great way to spend just a little bit of time with him every day. Uh, it, life communities, we have these table groups that are meeting every week that are walking through all of this together. And they meet all year long. The, Tom talked about the men's breakfast or the women's thing, a, a group that you can really connect with, bond with, and, and help shape each other. If there are things in you that you really, you, you feel like you fought forever and you just want to get rid of, Celebrate Recovery is an amazing place. Every Monday night, every week of the year, it's a great place. Coming up in, in Easter, we'll have sacred spaces. And this is just a, a quiet place for you to come and spend time just you and God just being loved on, being with him. Now, I don't give you this stuff. This isn't a checklist. This isn't the how to be a good Christian checklist. That's the, the burdensome way to do it. This is just ways for you to connect, ways for you to be with him. Because at the, at the table, we find this. We find a God who is already waiting for us. That's what I love about this. This isn't a God that says, if you show up to the table, I will show up to the table. He says, no, I'm there. I'm waiting for you. All you have to do is come to me, and he is offering to shape us into the person he's created us to be. He says, from the very beginning, I had a plan for you. Come to the table. I'm waiting for you. Let's work towards that. Our goal, if God is the gardener, if Jesus is the vine and I am the branch, our goal is not the fruit, it is the remaining. My challenge for you is to find time to remain, find a place to rest, find a time just to look at the face of God and love him for him. And so much of the rest follows right out of that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. 
Thank you for the people you've gathered here, for the fact that you knew they would be here. This is not an accident that we're here today. For the fact that you love us. Thank you for the gospel of John, for this conversation, and for the fact that I don't have to be burdened by forcing myself to become something better than me. My job is to remain in you. You are in charge. You are the gardener. That takes so much weight off of my shoulders. Jesus is the vine. Thank you. Thank you. Not just for what you do, but for who you are. Thank you for being an incredible God. And thank you for Jesus. All of this we pray in his holy and powerful name, in the name of Jesus. Amen.